Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. Hola, good morning and welcome to the show today. It's Monday and it started out around 6 AM, don't ask me how I know, a little bit gray and a little bit foggy-ish. And now the sun looks like it's trying to come out. Welcome, welcome. I hope you had a great weekend. We have a wonderful show for you today. We have two fantastic guests. At 11.30, Ian Warburg will be on. He is with Save Westport now, and he's part of a coalition that has asked the Westport RTM to overturn the zoning approval for the Saugatuck District, and we'll hear from him and why and what are the procedural aspects of this. Mark Foster is joining us. He is, I was reading about this guy, he is the president of a not-for-profit called Second Chance, and what they do, and they've come into our Fairfield County community to do it, is they basically don't let things go to waste when you're renovating your house or when you're taking it down. They have figured out a way to sustainably, truly recycle and reuse. And part of their mission also was to employ people that help them do that, that also need a second chance. So their whole thing is about second chances, people and things, and also uh, taking architectural details of note and putting them onto other buildings when they're discarded. Anyway, it's a fascinating article I read about him. So Mark Foster will be joining us at 1030. You know me, I'm all about, I'm sort of a Yankee thrift person, even though I didn't grow up in Connecticut. I think that's one of the reasons why I gravitated here. And by thrift, I just mean the usefulness of things that can be used more than once instead of a disposable kind of culture. I don't mean necessarily a stinginess, but just uh, an idea of repurposing, um, an economy, if you will, a creativity of the economy in the sense of the efficiency of taking something that still has some kind of a useful life and repurposing it for something else. And I think that that's sort of born and bred in us here in Connecticut, and I like it. I've always liked that. 203-333-9422. Okay, big headline in case you missed it, in case you decided to go to sleep at a decent hour. We had a new Speaker of the House elected on the 15th ballot. His name is Kevin McCarthy. And uh, it took him 15 times, but the 15th one was the trick. Um, And so he became elected to the Speaker of the House. Hakeem Jeffries, who is the Minority Leader Party Chair, uh, introduced him. He was then sworn in. He gave a speech. I'm going to play for you Hakeem Jeffries first, and then we'll hear from Kevin McCarthy. The Hakeem Jeffries, this piece of his speech, called the ABC piece of the speech, you'll see why in a moment, went viral, and um, um, a lot of people have called to tell me that they think that this was a great speech, a speech that ought to be listened to in its entirety, not just this little bit I'm going to play you. 
uh, and that for the very first time, a lot of people were waking up and paying attention to what this New York congressman had to say about the world, and, and more importantly, or as well as importantly, the way in which he said it. So let's hear the ABCs from Hakeem Jeffries, and then we'll move on to Kevin McCarthy's acceptance speech. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. That little bit made YouTube. It's going around and around and around. That's just a tiny excerpt from Hakeem Jeffries accepting his also historic acceptance as the first black leader of the Democratic Party as a whole with such a very close to majority minority in the House. But nonetheless, the Democrats are the minority by four. Let's hear from Kevin McCarthy, our newly elected Speaker of the House. Because in America, dreams can still come true. A commitment for a government that is held accountable. I may not know all of you, some of you are new. But I hope one thing is clear after this week. I never give up. I make this promise. I'll never give up for you, the American people. And I will never give up on keeping our commitment to America. Our nation is worth fighting for. Our rights are worth fighting for. Our dreams are worth fighting for. Our future is worth fighting for. And that is Kevin McCarthy, who just became the Speaker of the House. So, look, what are they going to do now? Well, uh, one of the first things that Kevin McCarthy is doing, and this was reported by Mother Jones today, is that he intends to dismantle the Office of Ethics, uh, which is rather shocking and upsetting considering that there's a lack of ethics to go around. And actually, there are more ethics investigations against current Democrats, including uh, AOC, than there are Republicans. But we all know that George Santos just got sworn in, and he's been proven a liar. Uh, I, you know, it's... I forgot to talk about this with you last week. I can't believe in so many other things that we were talking about. I forgot to tell you this. Did you see, so George Santos was elected in Nassau County, okay, Nassau County and New York. And George Santos um, was formerly heterosexual. Now he's homosexual. He's now calling himself the first Republican gay congressman to be elected because everybody's got to have descriptive adjectives in front of their names. Okay, that's the world we live in. That's fine. But people really want to know the truth about somebody, obviously. And he wrote a resume and actually campaigned on it, uh, and it turned out to be pretty much not true, beginning with the fact that he said he was a graduate of Baruch College. He never graduated Baruch College. And he also said that he had worked with, in other words, implied that he worked for various important institutions. I think Goldman Sachs was one of them. He never did. He wasn't there. And on and on and on about his resume. Lie, 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 more lies. So he was finally caught, but not before the election. He was caught after the election in a big expose by the New York Times, which I blame for not catching it sooner. After all, part of their stated mission is to do investigative reporting, and I think that they really fell down on the job. But there was a reporter deep in Nassau County who was looking into this, 
who did out a lot of this, but nobody paid attention. And actually, there was another reporter for the forward, for the Jewish forward, who also was paying attention, also didn't get much notice. And the reason that that part is important is because among the other things that George Santos bragged about, he tried to connect as a, quote, very proud Jew with the Jewish people in his district by bragging that he had Jewish ancestry and that he was, in fact, a very proud Jew. When called on that, he said, no, 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 no. I was raised as a Catholic, but and I didn't really mean I was a Jew. I meant I was Jew-ish, <laughs> as in ish, as in not Jewish, but like sort of-ish. I mean, it's sort of hysterical. And, you know, if it, it, what do they say, these things? If, it, if we wouldn't laugh, we would cry. If we wouldn't cry, we would laugh, one of the two. But anyway, he has now been sworn into Congress. And even though it seems that he's thus far a bit of a pariah, the news reported this morning that Marjorie Taylor Greene went up to him and said hello to him and had a conversation with him. And listen, if they need his vote, they're going to make friends with him. And they're going to need his vote because their majority is razor thin. So you talk about dismantling the Office of Congressional Ethics. Let me tell you a little bit about what it is. And it's disheartening to me, it's simply discouraging to me because I really care deeply about ethics, that one of the first ways that Kevin McCarthy wants to make his mark in Congress is by dismantling the Office of Congressional Ethics, uh, which I'm not sure that he can single-handedly do, by the way, and there may be definitely a, um, there may be a pushback on that, and he may not be able to do it, but that is nonetheless one of his stated Concerns. So let me see if I can find this right now. I just sent it to Melissa. Where is it, Melissa? Hold on. It's here. It's here. It's here. Of course, I can't find it because I want to. Where is it? Hold on. Let me find it. Because I read the whole story this morning. Here we go. Okay. Ready? So what is the Office of Congressional Ethics and why should you care about it? Well, the reason you should care about it is because the politicians that get elected to Congress, Democrats and Republicans, uh, sometimes have ethical lapses, and even though it isn't illegal, and even though they won't be impeached from office, the fact of the matter is that the people who are voting in the next election and who voted for them in the prior one have a right to know if they are called on behavior that is less than that except, expected from somebody who's in Congress. For example, AOC is being investigated for an ethical lapse because she wore a $35,000 dress to the Met museum big gala that they have every year, which she claims that she returned, incidentally. And it said something like, get the rich off my back, so something like that, on the dress. And she was called on that as being an ethical violation of behavior that wasn't, wasn't, in, wasn't comporting with the kind of office of being a congresswoman. In any event, uh, let me tell you what, the, what, what this is about. Um, the Office of Congressional Ethics is a quasi-independent organization staffed by professionals. It's overseen by a board of eight representatives who are not in Congress with the idea that it can be an efficient expediter of complaints. And under the rules package that McCarthy put together to try and win over the hardline conservatives in order to win the vote to become speaker, part of the thing that they wanted, these 20-some-odd people, was they wanted um, – they wanted to tighten the strings of the ethics committee and make it harder for them to do their job. The House of Representatives has its own ethics committee, and they're comprised of its own members who are tasked with keeping lawmakers on the up and up. But that committee has been notoriously slow to act and very often doesn't act at all. Uh, the OCE, on the other hand, is the one that is respected. And under McCarthy's rules, which haven't been passed yet, but which will be up for a vote this morning— and will only require the support of the entire GOP, the OCE will not be able to hire any new employees unless the majority of the office's governing board approve. That rule would go into effect in 30 days and would make it more difficult to hire new staff. Another clause in McCarthy's rules enforces term limits on members of the governing board, which would immediately kick three Democrats off of the governing board. And while they can be replaced by Democratic Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, he will have to wait 30 days as well. 
And according to this article, none of these new rules completely shutters the office, but both immediately hobble it from taking any quick new action. And once again, we're talking about the fact that, among other things, a lot of people wanted George Santos to be investigated. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be right back to tell you the news you can use, beginning with what's happening top of the news in Connecticut. Stay tuned. Here's what Connecticut is saying about Lisa Wexler. I love your show. It's not only entertaining, but a public service. Back to the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello, hello. All right, so we've got some top stories today. And I think the most important story that really caught my attention is that Connecticut is second only to Hawaii in our electric bills. And I just want to contrast that with Rhode Island, which is apparently one of the cheapest places to get energy in this country. So it's not because of our location. It's not because we're in New England. It's not because of our physicality as a state. There's something else going on. I have a feeling Marissa Gillette knows exactly why it is, because she used to come from Maryland, and so she could do a compare and contrast about what's wrong. But there's something terribly wrong here in Connecticut. My own opinion is a lot of it has to do with the way Eversource and UI and our electricity was deregulated. Uh, And that certainly may be a big piece of it, and that would require a substantial system shaking. But let me give you the news itself, because I just think it's just extraordinary. And... um, and I want you to hear the details of it. Greenwich Time reporting today, Alexander Sewell, wonderful, incidentally, local reporter in Connecticut. He does great work. Uh, the study shows that Connecticut electricity bills are the highest in the continental United States. So let's forget about Hawaii, which got its own quirky things and really is on the other side of the world anyway. In the 48 states that represent the United States of America here in the continental United States, we have the highest electricity bills in the country. Good little old Connecticut. Our average household shelled out $2,077 to cover the power bill over 12 months through last September, according to estimates by a company called Ownerly that analyzed data that was provided by the Energy Information Administration. No other Northeast state cracked the top 10. Okay, and Northeast, by the way, we have some cold winters up in Vermont and Maine. No other Northeast state cracked the 10, top 10 with the highest annual bills. While we ranked fourth for electric costs as calculated by the price per kilowatt hour, in other words, um, Massachusetts and California are higher than us per kilowatt hour, the fact of the matter is that in general, they have lighter monthly electric consumption on average. Even in Massachusetts, which has a climate a little colder than ours, maybe because they use less air conditioning for six, seven, eight months of the other part of the year. In any event... Or maybe they make do with a little bit colder climate. Their blood's a little thicker. But the fact of the matter is that even though they pay a little bit more per hour, they use less electricity. So they don't pay as much per year. Right now, Connecticut and Massachusetts have launched a joint initiative to find ways to reduce power costs. And there's a lot of attention being paid by this in the current legislature that is very worried about the fact that very soon our electricity bills, if you're an Eversource user, are expected to go up by a minimum of $55 a month. You know, when you look at that, and it really plays into people who live particularly on a fixed income. We have been lucky, fingers crossed, right? I don't know about you, but I'm not using a lot of heat to heat my house. The other day, my house was set to 65, and the temperature reading in the house was 71. My windows are open to the skies and open to the sun, And it was so warm that based on my own insulation and everything else in my house, the temperature in the house was even higher than the setting. Are we getting away with a mild winter, relatively speaking, thus far? Sure. We had a couple of weeks of very cold weather, but it doesn't even feel like January most of the time. I'm not even wearing my heavy jacket a lot. Will we have four to six weeks, I hope, I assume, of some winter before we get to March? I would think so. But we may be getting a break simply because we are having global warming. And so for us, global warming in the winter means we get a break on heat costs. But the other thing I wanted you to know, a friend of mine told me this, and I think we're going to do it. Bill doesn't know yet, but he'll hear it first on the radio, is Eversource is offering free energy audits. And a friend of mine did this, and they come in, and uh, they basically audited her home, and they told her what would be inefficient and too expensive to do, like redoing all of her windows. 
But what would be efficient and inexpensive to do, like a lot of weather stripping on doors and surfaces to make sure that the drafts don't come in and go out. And she was, my friend, was very impressed with the way in which they handled it. She said the audit itself is free. And then afterwards, you can pick and choose among sort of a slate of different improvements that you want to do to your house. They recommend a contractor to do it, so they sort of hook you up with somebody that can do the work. She said the work was relatively inexpensive, at least the work that she chose, and she's very happy she did the energy audit. Plus, she said, maybe it wasn't free, but maybe the cost of the audit is subsidized. No, the repairs, the audit is free. The, 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 the repairs are subsidized by the state of Connecticut to a substantial impact in the thousands of dollars. So while the slate of things may look expensive at first glance, the contractor who's associated with Eversource or who's referred by Eversource is getting a lot of the money from the state, from the state, the federal government, in order to help you make those repairs. So I just think it's something you might want to do if you're a homeowner, you know, because why not? But going back to why it's so expensive in Connecticut, in 2019, Connecticut approved new power purchase agreements with Dominion's Millstone Power Station in Waterford. The two nuclear reactors supply more than a fifth of New England's electricity. But still, roughly half of New England's power is generated through the burning of natural gas to fire turbines. And while natural gas increased last year, so did higher bills hit Connecticut. During an online forum this week convened by the Connecticut Public Utilities Authority, that would be pure as Marissa Gillette, Senator Bob Duff, Democrat of Norwalk, questioned why a utility the size of Eversource doesn't wield more pricing leverage. In other words, doesn't give us more bang for the buck. He contrasted Eversource's costs with those of Avangrid, whose subsidy United Illuminating does a little bit of a better job, and also contrasted that with the South Norwalk Electric and Water and Norwalk Third Taxing District, which is a municipal energy cooperative, which is where your members, your users, are essentially also your stakeholders, and there's not a profit motive incentive built into energy costs. And he was talking with them. He said, what is the process by which Eversource procures energy? Can it be improved? How do they forecast natural gas and fuel sources? And Eversource spokesperson telling the Greenwich Time, the company does not control the cost of natural gas, and they claim they make no profit on power generation. In any event, the fact of the matter is that now that this survey has come out, I have a feeling that our politicians are going to be paying very close attention. Why is Connecticut number one in this? There's a lot of things we would like Connecticut to be number one in, but electricity costs are not among them. I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be right back. Our telephone number, 203-333-9422. We have great guests coming on, beginning with a gentleman who's devoting his life to second chances of stuff and second chances of people. So we're going to hear from Mark Foster when we return. More of the Lisa Wexler Show right here on 107.3 FM, AM 600, WICC, WICC600.com. And don't forget Alexa. We'll be right back. Where Westport comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. You got to go. Whoops. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And welcome back to the show. Do we have Mr. Foster here? Yes. Hello. Hi. Hello, Mr. Foster. Hello. We are here joined by Mark Foster. I read about his bio and his organization, and I said, I got to get this guy on the show. He created something called Second Chance, a 501c3 nonprofit. And what they say they do, and we're going to hear it from Mark, is they take the salvageable part of buildings that we so carelessly discard when we want to renovate whatever it is we want to renovate, and they give those buildings a second chance. But not only that, they also give a second chance to a lot of people as well. Mark Foster, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be here, and thank you for uh, having us on this morning. Well, I was reading about you. First of all, I was reading about you in context with work that you've done in Connecticut. Is it true that you've been doing work here in Connecticut? Absolutely. We uh, we work up and down the East Coast. We go have been as far west as uh, Colorado, but mainly mid-Atlantic. And then uh, we put our fingers out into the upper reaches of the east and, and the lower reaches as well down to Florida. 
So tell me, Mark Foster, what is second chance? Because we hear about that. I hear about that with a lot with respect to prisoners and, you know, people out in the world that need a second chance, substance abusers that are sober for the first time. Why did you name your organization Second Chance? What do you mean by that? Well, Lisa, I think you hit it on the head earlier. You know, everybody needs a second chance. Obviously, materials do as well as people. Uh, When we created the organization 20 years ago, the focus was on the most disadvantaged members of the community. And we defined them um, basically returning citizens, barriers to employment, the education, parental guidance that may or may not have happened to them when they were younger, uh, any number of ways in which people had become disconnected to the workforce in severe ways, uh, we were targeting them for inclusion in our program, which was really uh, multifaceted. We really have a, a program that, that gives people skills in the retail part of our business, the transportation and pickup of materials in the field, deconstruction. Uh, so we have a broad array of opportunities for people to get back Uh, As you know, coming out of uh, incarceration, you need basically uh, a couple of things to help you, and that's employment and a place to live. And so we provide with partners the employment uh, portion of that, and then we work with other partners who are working on health care and housing. Uh, But really to stabilize someone, give them an opportunity to uh, get started on the road to sustainable employment is really the goal. And we use our organization uh, and the various elements of of what is involved in that, uh, as I said earlier, to give them employment opportunities, and one of those being uh, deconstruction. It's a a great opportunity to keep things out of the landfill, to teach skills uh, that don't require reading and writing. They really require uh, on-the-job training, so just about anybody can learn uh, how to take a building apart and do it safely. Uh, And so that's, you know, one of the things that we find very rewarding is uh, now, uh, 20 years later, after the start of Second Chance, society is thinking that we need to do a better job of of the resources that we uh, historically have been less mindful of, uh, wood and lumber coming from these job sites is one example. Yeah, well, I mean, we're such a wasteful, disposable commodity kind of country. We've always been this way. And, you know, I can't help thinking of all of those shows on HGTV and DIY where the, the great day they have is the day where they knock everything down. They're like, they're like Tonka toys, you know, four-year-olds. And they go in with the hammers and they go in with whatever and they seem to have a great time, you know, taking everything apart. And then they haul it into a dumpster and it's bye-bye. And what you're saying is that there's an art to doing this. If we'd be a little bit more careful, a lot of these things are more salvageable than just taking a hammer to them. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, Lisa. And I can tell you that the market for these materials is robust. We uh, we sell everything we bring back to the warehouse, uh, even the unusual things people are going to find uh, a use for. Uh, repurposing. Uh, The organization also makes many of these materials available to folks who are in low-income positions who need these materials to, uh, whether it's a water heater or something like that, they need to have those items at a cost-effective, you know, methodology for them to be able to reinstall it in their home. So, yeah, I I would say one thing that's uh, been encouraging, I've been doing this for 20 years, I was the founder of the organization, and I've seen us change as a society more along the lines of mindfully thinking about what we're doing with materials where 20 years ago we were more uh we have room for improvement clearly but we've made lots of strides in terms of uh our ambitions of trying to keep things out of the landfill as a society so that that's encouraging and it's encouraging because it provides you know future workforce opportunities for the people that we're trying to help so, Mark Foster of Second Chance, 203-333-9422. Let's say I was redoing my kitchen, okay? I'm not a big office building. But let's say I'm just one of these people who I bought, buy a house or it's 25 years old, and I decide maple is out, you know, and quartzite is in or whatever the heck it is. And I have the money and the wherewithal, and I just want to give my house a facelift. Would I call you and have you disassemble everything and take away my cabinets? You could. Uh, it's going to be more cost effective in that scenario that you just outlined for your contractor to do it for you because okay. it's a multi-day uh, operation. But it's got to come out anyway, to your point. And whether you stage it in the garage for whether it's Second Chance or your local Habitat or somebody to pick it up, okay. and whether or not 
tax deduction has value to you or not. You can certainly, in some cases, it will. In other cases, it will not. But in any case, the best thing to do is to set it aside and let somebody reuse it. Um, And that's easily done. It's going to come out anyway. Um, Generally speaking, you can align the day it comes out with the pickup. You can stage it in your garage. There's any mechanism you want to employ that keeps it uh, in a condition that somebody else would be able to use it. And in commercial buildings where there seems to be just enormous amounts of waste. Are you making headway with commercial landlords and office spaces and rehabbing of strip malls and just so many spaces where, you know, a new tenant comes in and everything that was there goes? And the answer is yes. Um, There's headway. You need to build capacity, which is what we're doing. We're training people, getting them into the the, uh, industry of deconstruction and waste stream diversion. And as you've just alluded to, the the opportunities are endless. Endless. size of of the amount of material we throw away and certainly we're at the point now where we're small so we're prioritizing what it is and mostly that's residential Uh, but in the commercial market there needs to be something equally as uh, well versed in keeping ceiling tiles for instance they can be recycled and reused and remade into new ceiling tiles so there's there's an inordinate amount of uh, great things going on we all see now you know patagonia using plastic bags to make Mm Uh, weather, you know, protective gear. So there's all kinds of creativity that could be unleashed with these, you know, reclaimed materials. What made you, Mark Foster, decide to do this? I'm always interested how not-for-profits get started because by definition, you know, you're not trying to make money. So are you starting with some seed capital? Was this your own donation? Like, how did you begin? Yes, and and it was, uh, you know, as many organizations or businesses are given birth there they see a market need in my own case uh, i was renovating a, a historic house from the 1900s and i found uh, difficulty finding the materials i used to be in restaurant development and uh, so that gave me the wherewithal to uh, change careers at some point and devote more of my energies to giving back to the community and and so doing designing second chance around the idea of if we can make this self-sustaining, and again, 20 years ago, the word social enterprise was not on everybody's lips as it is today. So having an organization, we're 99.9% earned income. We don't get money from the government. We don't get money from foundations. We earn what we make, and we reinvest it in our programs and in our community. So we are self-sustaining. The folks that you know um, asked us to come up to Westport and do the work um, – helped us by giving us uh, some money to underwrite the program that we operated on their job site. And in return, they got a significant tax deduction, which made that relationship profitable for them, but profitable for the community as well, and allowed us to be able to do the work. So it works well. Um, There is room, as you said, in commercial activities. um, But in the beginning, um, much of what we're talking about today, 20 years ago, was still um, you know, we were pioneers. And so the initial capital to get Second Chance started, the donations were made by my wife and I. And then subsequently, as the wheel started turning and we had more support for jobs we were doing and more support from people that were buying the materials that we were reclaiming, it, it became self-sufficient very quickly thereafter. So in other words, you can pay your people for their work because you already know that in the marketplace, there's a market where you can sell what you reclaim. Absolutely. And so you're the, you're the person doing the labor and you're, that's, that's, that's pretty fantastic. And in 20 years, do you have an estimate of how many man hours, human hours, or, um, or the kinds of the numbers of reclaiming? And did you ever sort of keep any kind of statistical count of what you've contributed? Well, it's interesting. We started in 2003 with four people, and now we're 250. Wow. Really? Yeah. Well, there's 100 people every day going out into the field who are in these programs to take buildings apart. They're both regionally and and up and down the East Coast. And interestingly enough, Lisa, one of the reasons we go to Westport and other communities is not so much that, you know, the houses there are any different than what we could find within – you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of Baltimore. But what it does do for the community of people who are trying to help, it exposes them to getting out of an environment that might seem to them like another kind of jail. If they're stuck in an urban environment, they don't see the world and the possibilities that the world could offer. 
they can they can very easily become consumed by their own small world. So we we break that uh, you know that that vision of what they have of what their life could look like by sending them out into the communities far away, staying in a hotel, seeing different people, meeting and changing their lives in a different way. So we go to Westport uh, not only because the people up there are very friendly, (laughs) but because they're welcoming and people in our programs are getting an exposure to the community and and the world um, outside of Baltimore City. Wow. Okay. Incredible. So you are not necessarily using local help. You are taking your people to where the stuff needs to be reclaimed and then putting it on trucks or freight trains or whatever it is you're doing to get it elsewhere. Absolutely. And we, we uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the industry is developing um, in the course of time that we've been involved in it, that now there are, you know, more deconstruction companies, more coming up. We're in the, the uh, you know, position to be able to help others you know, in the community of Westport, start some, you know, um, smaller versions of what we are and then grow those. And so we help uh, a lot of communities uh, establish their own, you know, second chances in some way so that they can, uh, you know, do the same things we're doing because every community, if you can imagine it, has a need for what we do, has an opportunity for what we do. Sure. So you can replicate yourself here and there and everywhere. Do a lot of people call you to mentor them to start their own not-for-profits doing second-chance work now? Absolutely. You know, in any business or nonprofit, it's an uphill battle. you got to have a committed person, and they got to, you know, they got to slog through the details and the startup, you know, the pain and suffering that goes with starting any business, whether it's a, a not-for-profit or, or a for-profit. Um, and so, yes, we're more than willing to help um, anybody out there who's looking to get started. 203-333-9422 has been our number. Uh, Mark Foster, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. I have an idea of an organization. I'm blanking on the um, exact name of it. That is based in Fairfield County. I actually went to a fundraiser for them around holiday time, but I'm blanking on the name of it. But it's essentially it, what they're doing is they are um, gathering people in our community who are sober now, but who hadn't been. And there's a huge problem with homelessness in the substance abuse, formerly substance abusing community, huge problem. And so these people, largely men, are given a place to stay in a bed, and then they're trained to do labor and things like that that you're talking about. And then uh, that that is its own self-sustaining not-for-profit where they then go out in the community and earn money and they basically pay rent and they find a home for the first time. And I'm just thinking that there could be a connection there. We have a caller for you, Elizabeth from Stanford. You're on the air with Mark Foster of Second Chances. Hi, thank you. I'm wondering if you also offer smaller house parts I have been looking for handles on windows for a house that was built in the late 50s, and I didn't think to check with people when they were tearing down the houses in the neighborhood to build bigger houses. I can't find them anywhere. Just the kind of handle, I don't know, they used to have on these windows, you pull them up, you pull them down, that kind of level. Do you save that level of things? Absolutely. Uh, the devil's in the details, right? When you're doing a historic home renovation, it's you need to find what was, uh, you know, manufactured and built 100 years ago. And we are down to the we save the cut nails, uh, you know, that come out of the floor that, um, you know, were hand hammered back in the day, you know, 140 years ago, which interesting about our store. People love it. It's 250,000 square feet. So it's the oh size of four God. home. De- so it's wow. got any. From what, you know, uh, a starving artist might want to buy all the way up to somebody who's building one of those bigger homes that you just alluded to. But uh, the parts and pieces, uh, we started out really emphasizing the historic fabric of the community because that's irreplaceable. 
uh, a two by four from a 1950s row house, although obviously something we can save and, and we're more than willing and happy to do it. We really love to see something that we can avoid uh, getting sent to the landfill that has, you know, a hundred years of age on it or a marble mantle or, you know, some of the architectural details of homes. And it could be spindles from a staircase, could be railing from a staircase, um, all of those things, flooring, um, you know, all of those are the things that uh, we salvage. We, we only leave behind what is recyclable and what cannot be resold or is not desirable for anybody to purchase. And oh, that's amazing. Again, Where's I the store? Hold it. on, Elizabeth. Yeah. Where's yeah. the store? Where's the store? It sounds like a tourist that's destination. Where's the that's- store? The store's in Baltimore. You can see us online at uh, www.secondchanceinc.org. You'll see the store there. You can interact with us. You can uh, send a picture of what it is you have to our uh, website. And we have people here in the customer service business who will hunt down whether we have or don't have the piece you're looking for. That's so cool. That's wonderful. That was my question. Great question, Elizabeth. I didn't even know about the store. I'm telling you. I I went to... Yeah, I, I thank when you, Lisa. the article, Lisa? Tell me. I don't remember. I don't remember. I read everything all the time. I don't remember. I always pass the article to Melissa, my producer, and then lo and behold, I get to talk to the person named in the article. It's like magic for me. Um, Mark, so, do you know where you've been written up? Uh, we've been fortunate over the 20 years to be in, you know, the Washington Post, New York Times. Uh, what we do, I think, resonates with a lot of people, and, and you know, in the in the world of publications and both you know anything that would appear on youtube you just or- find it just find it elizabeth okay. yeah. really thank you very much for the call mark i just want to say that i used to live in baltimore i went to johns hopkins and that's a city that really needs and really struggles and really needs your help it really struggles i was just reading over the weekend that baltimore has the lowest housing in the entire lowest cost of housing and the- one of the highest vacancy rates in the entire country uh, because right. people are not wanting to live in that city. And I love that city. And I love the immediate environment around the city, the Roland Park area with Sherwood Gardens, that whole area, you know, right next to the Homewood campus. I've always thought it was beautiful. And I, I feel very terrible that Baltimore has really had such a hard time. So it well, sounds you know, like you're contributing beautifully to that city. You know, what's interesting, Lisa, is the, the headlines certainly are, are uh, things that don't shine a great light on Baltimore often. But underneath all of that, um, there's a tremendous story of, of investment and growth and people moving into the city and all these apartments being built and uh, what's called uh, Port Covington and Inner Harbor East and Lexington Market getting big investments. So, uh, you know, the from a resident of Baltimore, and seeing it firsthand, it's a different picture than what people see that are external. Um, I, the neighborhood that I was talking about earlier was Roland Park, which was right next to John, right? Was oh. developing a new, you know, home from a 1902, trying to get it renovated. Uh, but it's just such a great city, and it gets unfortunately, it's got its issues. All cities do, and mm-hmm. and a lot of communities do. We get it. Um, but you know, we in Baltimore seem to be unfortunately suffering under some headlines that that steal the show and don't really allow what's happening underneath all of that with the stadiums, with, uh, you know, all the things I could go on and on about what great things are happening in the city. Uh, but that voice gets somewhat lost in some of the headlines. Well, I'm very glad to know you, Mark Foster, and I'm glad that you're making the city a more vital place. And the next time I pass through Baltimore, I'm going to have to go to your store, second chance Inc. Oh my God. Sounds so exciting. Well, and, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think there should be a TV show. I, I see a reality show here. <laughs> I do. I do. Someone right. is listening to me. Got a lot of influencers who listen here to the show. I think somebody could grab you and make a fantastic reality show and put it right on the DIY network or HGTV. How fabulous would that be? It's funny. You know, when we started out, it was uh, Bob Vila and this old house. Uh-huh. And now, look at what's going on now. <laughs> Yeah, but you've got like layers of inspiration, you know, sort of baked into what you're doing. And people love that. Everybody loves that. I think you're right. If I could find the time, I'd be more than happy to participate. Oh, yeah. No, they'll find you. I'm I'm calling this. I'm calling it out into the universe. They're going to respond. Mark Foster, thank you so much. And by the way, I expect you to tell me when you get the call. 
Thank you, you very go. much for being on the Lisa Wexler Show today. Thanks for the good work you're doing, and I hope we'll keep seeing you around here in Connecticut. It's been our pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. We'll be right back. We'll talk about whether bars should stay open until 4 a.m. Should they? There's a proposal that says they might. We'll be right back. Stimulation for your brain. This is the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. Back to the Lisa Wexler Show. So News 8 is reporting that among the various things that are being floated in front of the legislature or a proposal that's getting noticed is to allow bars to be open and serve alcohol until 4 a.m. Currently, they're only allowed to do so until 2 a.m. To test the proposition, the proposal listed nine cities uh, listed nine cities in order to try and test it. They would be Bridgeport, Danbury, Hartford, New Haven, New London, Norwalk, Stamford, Waterbury, and West Hartford. And um, Trey Cole interviewed as the manager of a bar in New Haven says, while he thinks the idea is good for revenue, he sees a downside. I think the later people are allowed to drink, the later they will, creating more work for police officers, more work for staff. We also like to go to bed at a reasonable time, too. Organizations like Mothers Against Drug Driving are concerned. Uh, What do you think? I mean, here we are legalizing pot for the first time recreationally. Uh, We got our sports gambling that's going to proliferate pretty much everywhere you can see a screen. And now somebody wants to keep bars open until 4 a.m. I'd like to know why. Obviously, the people in the restaurants don't, don't like it because they'll have to be more pressure to stay open. Is there anything good that can happen on the road from somebody leaving a bar between 2 and 4 a.m.? I mean, anything? I just want to know if there's any redeeming quality to this proposal. Or would you be in favor of it? Would you vote for it? 203-333-9422. What do you think about this? I'm actually shocked that it's getting attention and it's an actual proposal. I'm looking to see who actually is proposing it, and I'm having a hard time finding that right now. I'd like to see who's sponsoring this bill. Maybe Tom Dutchick would know. Who is sponsoring the bill for a 4 a.m. close time uh, in Connecticut? Who are the sponsors of this bill? I don't know yet, but I'm going to have Melissa look into this. But in any event, you want to tell me what you think about it? 203-333-9422. Very simple. Would you vote for it? If you were a legislator, would you vote for it? 203-333-9422. Do you want to keep Connecticut bars open until 4 a.m.? Right now they're allowed to stay open until 2. I mean, I I guess the argument is, you know, that we shouldn't be having a paternalistic society that makes laws and... If bars want to stay open, they should be able to stay open. So what's the big deal? But, of course, there is a big deal. We've already reported to you that at least 80% of wrong-way crashes are by impaired drivers. People driving around our state between, well, between 2 a.m., let's say, and 5, when traffic starts again, probably want to have fewer potentially impaired drivers on the road pouring out of bars. We already have a huge problem in Connecticut with impaired drivers. I mean, look what just happened last week. Look at Quentin Williams. Look, look what happened to this poor guy, Q. He passed away. And incidentally, part of our news today to let you know that hundreds of people in the cold weather, in the lousy weather, had a vigil in Middletown for this man who was so beloved and so truly well-liked. In other words, Not an average legislator, truly well-liked for his exuberant personality, for his optimism. And uh, they decided to pay tribute to him. His wife, Carissa, obviously was there. Pictures online, the Connecticut Mirror reporting hundreds gathering at a vigil for Connecticut Representative Quentin Williams, who lived his life with the question, what can I do to help? And a lot of people spoke about how he was always, quote, expanding his chosen family. They gathered Friday night on the South Green in Middletown with candles and Christmas lights, casting a glow. Uh, People shared stories. He was 39 years old, a Democrat from Middletown, died shortly after midnight on Thursday when his vehicle collided with another car that was headed in the wrong direction on Route 9. Both drivers killed in the crash. 
He had just taken his oath of office that day and was returning home from the governor's inaugural ball in Hartford at the time of the accident. So many personal anecdotes, so many wonderful pictures of this man with such a beautiful smile. The legislature's black and Puerto Rican caucus leaders remembered Middletown's first black state representative as a, quote, trailblazer who fought for equality and was committed to creating learning opportunities in all communities. Governor Lamont directed state flags to half staff in Williams' honor, and the state capitol itself closed for the remainder of the week. Mr. Williams graduated Middletown Public Schools with a business degree from Bryant University and earned his master's at Villanova. He had first served in the General Assembly in 2019, and then he was reelected, and his most recent reelection was unopposed. He loved his mother, Queen. He loved his wife, Carissa. And he, they talked a lot, the speakers, about his support for women, his advocacy for equity and education, his smile, and his ability to make everyone around him feel happy. I, I just think that the timing of putting a bill together to talk about keeping bars open, which by definition serve liquor, until 4 a.m. with this terrible calamity that affected all of the legislators in, Hart, in Hartford, I just cannot imagine that this is going to get a real hearing. But what do I know? I've been wrong before. 203-333-9422. Don't don't forget, Tony Wong told us, state senator, that 3,000 bills were going to make its way from here or there as proposals. It doesn't mean that they'll all get a hearing. It doesn't mean if they get a hearing in committee that they'll come out of committee and then go to the floor altogether. And it doesn't mean even if they went to the floor that they get voted in or signed by the governor. I think we're a long way from that. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to come back with some lots of other news you may have missed. Also, a conversation at 1130 with Ian Warburg, who is very concerned that the recent OK by the PNC in Westport for the Saugatuck community's rezoning is going to tremendously densify that area of town. He doesn't like it. He'll tell us why at 1130 this morning. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.